The following is a message by Dr. Howell Jones from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. With all that is within us, O Lord our God, we give thee thanks for the unspeakably great gift of thy dear Son, even unto death, for the sake of the sins of his people. And we draw near to thee this morning through him and him alone, trusting in his righteousness, making mention only of his name as we exalt thy grace to us. And we pray that thou wilt give us the aid of thy Holy Spirit as once more by means of thy word we seek to draw near to him dying for us. Be pleased to grant thy blessing. Extend his kingdom to the uttermost ends of the earth. Gather all for whom he died, that innumerable company from every kindred, tribe, and tongue, and nation, and speed the day when he will see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. And we shall all be together with him forever and ever. Amen. Let us be seated. John's Gospel, chapter 19, and verses 28, 29, and 30. Let us hear the word of God. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to finish the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Amen. May God bless to us his word. Once more we turn to these verses in which we have two sayings of our Lord Jesus Christ from the cross. And hopefully we will concentrate more on the second than the first today. They're only found in John's gospel, but the event to which they bear reference, namely the providing of some drink for the Lord Jesus Christ, is recorded in all three other Gospels as well. John not only records these two sayings, he connects them. He connects them closely. He has a point of major significance and importance in doing so. They are two separate sayings distinct from each other, each with its own meaning. They are not, therefore, two parts of one saying, like, woman, behold thy son, son, behold thy mother. They're connected in point of time. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ is imminent. It is about the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon. 
and they're also arranged in terms of order. I thirst indicates the need for some moistened lips or parched, swollen tongue uh, to be soothed in order that a loud voice may be uttered. It is finished. But those aren't the only ways in which John connects these sayings. He connects them in terms of a great overarching theme, using a particular word three times in order to do so. We read together from the English Standard Version, and I changed the second of these words from fulfilled to finished, because that is the word that John uses in this little unit of text. Jesus, knowing that all things were now finished, said in order to finish the scripture, it is finished. That is the point that he's wanting to stress and emphasize. And however much it may seem difficult to understand what conceivably he could mean by to finish the scripture, we oughtn't to render his chosen word as fulfilled. He uses the common term for to fulfill. Elsewhere in his gospel, look at verse 24. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Look further down. Verse 36, these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. And the same verb, we may assume, carries over in uh, its effect into the following statement. But here he doesn't use the common, ordinary, frequent word for to fulfill. He uses this strange term, this uncommon term, to finish Jesus, knowing that all things were now finished, said, I thirst, in order to finish the scripture. And when he had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. So quite clearly, the Apostle John intends to connect the end of the earthly life of Jesus with the end of the word of God and also with the end of the work of God. Now to use the term end in connection with the scripture raises a host of questions, doesn't it? But I'm using it for a purpose and the purpose is this, death is final. It's not merely an incident. It's not part of a process. There's an air of finality about it. When it has happened, there's no way back. And these two statements, John sets in the context of a finality. Jesus, life is coming to an end. And with its end, the Old Testament word, comes to an end. And the Old Testament work assigned to the Messiah comes to an end. 
John, you see, is connecting revelation with crucifixion. And crucifixion with redemption. If we want to think in these big terms, that's how we do it. Revelation, crucifixion, and redemption. And he is moved, isn't he, to do so by the inspiring spirit. And he wants to implant these links firmly in the minds of his readers that they may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that believing they might have life in his name. But this isn't just his idea, is it? To use the term idea doesn't, of course, in any way infer that there's something non-authentic about it. He says, Jesus knowing that all things were finished in order that the scripture might be finished said I thirst and it is finished here he is by the same spirit indicating to us not just this isn't merely a truth that has been entered into my mind by the inspiring spirit it was there it was there in the mind of the saviour As he approached his last breath, he knew that the Old Testament scripture was approaching a point of finality. Let's call it completeness. Better than end. But remember, a completeness that is final, irreversible, unsurpassable point of finality he knew it knowing that all things were now finished knowing that the scripture was going to be finished not a scripture a particular text but the whole of it just as he thought you remember in conflict with the scribes and the Pharisees who accused him of blasphemy when he claimed that he was God He was able to turn them to the Psalms and say, the scripture says you are gods and the scripture cannot be broken. Here scripture is used in that total sense and he's saying that all of it, which existed, Genesis to Malachi, here he is completing it by his last breaths. And in his last breaths, he is also completing the work of redemption. That is what we are to draw from these statements. It's just like Jesus in the upper room, knowing that his hour had come, when he would depart out of this world unto the Father, he loved his own to the end knowing that all things had been given into his hands he came from God was going to God and in the full consciousness of all that he stooped in the upper room he died on the cross do you agree with him that in his death 
His life offered up in death to God. All that the old predicted, anticipated, promised, illustrated, exhibited, came to a point of actualization, completion. And then and there, as fully as the Old Testament was completed, salvation was as well. Now, in a sermon, we would have to unpack those connections, wouldn't we? How, can, how does the word connect with his death? How does the work connect with his death? I'm not going to do so. I'm not even going to try. There's no need for me to try and do it because that is what you've been learning in your classes, isn't it? All the literary genre, law, wisdom, prophecy, psalm, history, all the covenants, all the offices of the Messiah, they're all concentrated here in this statement by the apostle. So here's a sermon without a body. Don't copy it. But here are the conclusions. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ is the end of the beginning. It's the end of the beginning. You don't go back in order to reintroduce dispensational-wise something that he completed All of them. Genesis to Malachi all look forward to the one who was to come. And they all look forward in particular to his death. And so the end isn't a cancellation. All right, you can call it a fulfillment, but remember it's a finality. There's no reversal. You don't turn the clock back. Whatever continues, continues through him and because of him. And as he places his endorsement upon it, he elevates it into the new covenant era. So that whenever you look at the Old Testament, whatever part you're looking at, look for him. Look for him. And don't just look for him. Look for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because that's where it all reached its zenith, acme, of fulfillment and completion. He knew it. Do you? Do we agree with him? When he said, it is finished. The whole scripture. Do we say amen? The end of the beginning. Well then, what about the New Testament? Knowing the scripture would be finished must refer to the old, mustn't it? But what about the new? And not just the New Testament scripture, but all the wonderful works it contains. 
his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of God, his heavenly intercession, guardianship for his people, is coming again to judge the living and the dead. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the inauguration of the church, the life of the Christian, individual, corporate in terms of the church, its worship, its fellowship, its witness. There's so much that follows. Yes. But it's all a consequence. It's not an addition as his life in death was an addition to supply what was lacking in the old. It's an outworking. It's an unfolding. It's the result of that immense work that he did when he bowed his head and gave up his spirit to the Father. You and I must never get beyond Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the theme in heaven. It's got to be the theme here below. We're familiar, aren't we, with Luther's hyperbolic statements. When we come across them, we tone them down just a little notch or two. Here's Calvin. And so we give his statement its full weight. Look him up on 1 Corinthians 1.17. And the whole section that leads into Jesus Christ and him crucified. Here he is. All the wisdom of believers is comprehended in the cross of Christ. All the wisdom of believers is comprehended in the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you and I think we know something that we can't find there, we have the whole weight of Moses and the prophets and the wise men crushing down on us and saying we're wrong. And the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ too. The best that you and I can discover, find, know, love, and express is but, but, the result of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let us pray. Enable us, O Lord, always to remain at the foot of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ in our minds and hearts in our affections and in the submission of our wills, individually and corporately, grant that we might realize that we owe everything to him, not to him apart from thee, but we would owe thee nothing nor be able to express anything to thee if it were not for him, for in him all thy grace and mercy reaches us at the cost of his being obedient unto death, death on a cross. Exalt him, therefore, in our midst, in our minds and hearts, in every church that bears his name, to the uttermost ends of the world, until he comes again and receives the glory that is his due. 
Pardon us our sins and receive our thanks for his sake. Amen. Copyright 2007 Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.